hey, this is Mike Birbiglia, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, which is one of the better tape recorders. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, Ira Glass. Yes, we talked to Ira about all kinds of cool stuff, including the origins of his popular radio program, This American Life, as well as his very first job in radio as a high schooler writing jokes for a local DJ in his hometown of Baltimore. I mean, I, I did. I mean, to say I had designs on anything is really like overstating. Like, you know, I was just like, I liked funny stuff on the radio and I thought like, oh, I want to try that. It wasn't, it wasn't much more sophisticated than that. We'll hear more from Ira in just a bit. We have a great installment of What Kind of Nonsense Is That? in which the Media Research Council and Newsbusters attack a mommy blogger. It's brilliant. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. A Texas man who climbed the fence, eluded Secret Service, and entered the White House was indicted Tuesday by a federal grand jury for entering a restricted building, carrying a deadly weapon, and unlawfully possessing ammunition. He made it into the East Room of the White House. Can you imagine the uproar if there were a white guy living in the White House? Duck Dynasty patriarch Phil Robertson expressed impatience and frustration with the news media and universities because they rarely ever acknowledged the reality of sin or even used the word sin and explained that he compelled an ABC reporter to admit that he had never once in his career mentioned the word sin. This program, I will note, is an exception as we contend it's a sin that anyone listens to a bigot, homophobe, phony baloney like Phil Robertson. A 17-year-old known for posting spectacular photos on Instagram from some of the highest spots in New York City has been charged with trespassing and reckless endangerment. The teenager made his way to the top of the 432 Park Avenue luxury tower, still under construction, when police arrested him. The photographer added that he was planning to travel to Mason, Ohio to take pictures, but feared he would perish in a police shooting. That's for the long-time listeners there. President Barack Obama has spent more time golfing than he has spent listening to daily intelligence briefings. The Daily Caller has calculated, based on a new report by the Florida-based Government Accountability Institute, that he spent almost 700 hours in 875 presidential day briefings since 2009. Yeah, why can't he be more like this guy? We must stop the terror. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank you. Now watch this drive. Obama has actually golfed way more than President Bush, who vacationed way more than President Obama. And that from PolitiFact, a source often cited by Republicans, except when it disagrees with their BS premise. A magic island on Saturn's intriguing moon Titan has once again popped up on Cassini's radar. But it seems to have changed its look since the last time it was spotted. Images from the spacecraft show a giant statue, a hatch, and the faces of Jack, Ben, and Kate on the island. Taylor Swift is notorious for singing about ex-boyfriends, and now she doesn't think dating will ever work out for her. Taylor Swift has dated a lot of famous celebrities, but now she doesn't see how guys would want to date her. With exes like Jake Gyllenhaal, Taylor Lautner, Joe Jonas, and Harry Styles, Swift has lived a lot of girls' dreams. She's currently working on a song about it. And regardless of what you think of ABC's new sitcom, Selfie, the show is saddled with an awful title according to Yahoo TV. Selfie is a vapid buzzword that's meaningless to anyone over 40, says the website, which I'm not sure is accurate, by the way. My 70-year-old mother-in-law and 80-year-old father know what a selfie is. Anyway, it's sure to be dated in five years' time. That's probably right, if not sooner. Toward that end, Yahoo TV compiled a list of all-time bad TV show titles that oddly only goes back a few years. <laughs> oh, millennials, don't you remember? It's like, you know... In any case, among those topping their list were Trophy Wife, 
extant and don't trust the bitch in apartment 23 the latter viewers must have thought was called don't watch the bitch in apartment 23 and that's been fake news with me Newsbusters and their parent organization, the Media Research Center, and I'm using those annoying little air quotes when I say research, uh, anyway, they are vigilantly fighting an effort to boycott those who advertise on the Rush Limbaugh show. But don't worry, they still have time to attack a stay-at-home mom, which is the subject of this installment of... What kind of nonsense is that? Rita Templeton is a mommy blogger. She has her own website slash blog called Fighting the Frumpy. A few weeks ago, she wrote a post called The Naked Truth. A bit of an overused title, uh, if I do say so myself, uh, but it seems like every story about nudity seems to use that title, you know, the naked truth about celebrities, the naked truth about blah blah blah. But anyway, uh, her basic thesis was, and it was a good one, as the mother of four boys ages two to nine, she decided that if her sons accidentally saw her naked getting out of the shower or whatever, seeing her get into her pajamas, whatever the case may be, she wouldn't freak out and might even view the situation as a positive. Now, the Huffington Post runs her stuff too, so like me, she's not making money from several places on the internet. They, of course, uh, picked up on this, uh, but they decided to change the title to Why I Want My Sons to See Me Naked, which is a completely different idea than the one she put forth in the original post. Now, if you've ever lived in a house with other family members, you know people walking on each other in various stages of nakedness. Uh, totally by accident, it just happens. Miss Templeton decided such situations were no big deal. She didn't, as the HuffPo version of the title implies, sit her sons down one day and say, Okay, boys, gather around. Mommy wants to show you something. No. She was talking about accidental nudity. If they happened to see her that way by accident, she wouldn't make a big deal out of it and make them feel like they did something horrible. She also reasoned that if they did happen to see her incidentally naked, that it would be, in the long run, maybe a good thing because it would instill a realistic expectation of what the female body looks like. Boring, but you know, in a good way, a healthy way. It's a good thought. Okay, this of course is where Newsbusters and the Media Research Center show up. Now, Newsbusters uh, and the Media Research Center, the Media Research Center owns Newsbusters, they're not the brightest bulbs on the internet, and uh, being the narrow-minded busybodies that they are, it's no surprise a headline like, Why I Want My Sons to See Me Naked is going to give them an embolism. So the Media Research Center writes a rather lengthy piece decrying her as the worst mom of 2014, and of course their sister site Newsbusters links to it. But in case the HuffPo's reworking of the title wasn't inaccurate enough, they titled their critique, Mommy Blogger Wants to Be First Nude Body, Young Sons See. And this is the first thing I saw on this, and when I saw it, worded like that by Newsbusters, I knew there was something fishy going on. Now, the Huffington Post also had Miss Templeton as a guest on their HuffPo Live streaming channel to discuss the piece. And understand that HuffPo bears some responsibility here because they clearly tried to position this as something titillating when it most certainly was not. The MRC, in their piece, even embed the video uh, in their critique, though they totally managed to draw one wrong conclusion after another. Host Ricky Camillari, for his part, tries his best to make this sound way more exciting than it really is. Politics to parenting, HuffPost blogs run the gamut. And every day at HuffPost Live, we like to shine a spotlight on some of the hottest blogs on our site. Mmm, hottest blogs. Go on, Ricky. Now, while mainstream thinking suggests that we cover up and maintain some modesty in front of our kids, it's... Spoiler alert, so does the person you're about to interview. One Iowa mom has made the choice not to be bashful around her young sons, both out of convenience and principle. In her blog, Why I Want My Sons to See Me Naked... Which is not the title of her blog. Her blog is Fighting the Frumpy. That's not even the title of the original post. All right, so... Now, I'm very pro-nudity, but I'm also very pro-modesty. Now, if it's hot out and there's no one else home and I want a way to put on the air conditioning because, you know, I'm also cheap above all other things, well, you know, okay, sorry, I know, TMIPF. But I'm also the kind of guy who, when I go to the beach or a swimming pool, I'll wear a t-shirt even in the water, okay? 
So when she says this, I'm not naked more than the average person. I'm completely bummed out. Now she even goes as far to say that she does teach modesty, like when it comes to using the bathroom. You poop with the door closed, and you close the door in your shower, and stuff like that. But she also realizes that it's hard to control for young boys. As much as I teach them about knocking and about modesty, they barge in. Kids do that. True that. But the best part of all this is toward the bottom of the Media Research Center piece where they highlight some of the points she makes in the HuffPo live interview, but does so in the weirdest way. They call out where she says she wants to teach her children not to be ashamed of their bodies, but instead of using the whole quote, they just put the word ashamed in quotes as if to indicate that that's crazy talk. You should be ashamed of your body. And if you're not ashamed of your body, you'll make Jesus cry. They also point out that she says her partner understands all this and highlights just the word partner in quotes because to the Media Research Center, that's code for something evil. What's funny is she's not the one that brings up the word partner. Host Ricky Calamari does. What, what's, your, what's your partner's uh, nudity policy? So she just goes along with the word partner. In fact, she didn't even say the word partner. She just says he understands we've sat down and talked about it and so on. Now, remember the R in Media Research Center stands for research. So you'd think they would do some and find out who this partner, quote unquote, is. My guess is either they did and they didn't like the answer because it undermines their whole BS premise, or they were just that lazy and incompetent. Either scenario is likely. It took me less than a minute to find out who her partner is. Her partner is her husband. And it doesn't say how long they've been married, but they've been together since she was 17. Oh, sorry, Media Research Center. It's not a same-sex partner or some dude she's shacked up with and living in sin. But maybe next time, huh? Isn't this the kind of thing newsbusters and the MRC should celebrate? She's married to a man. She's had four kids with him. She chose life. She did not have them. She's a stay-at-home mom. Her pretty little head isn't filled with notions of having a career outside the home and trying to do things that are best left to the menfolk. The Media Research Center and Newsbusters should have attacked HuffPo for trying to be click whores and using an innocent post about a common household occurrence to drum up page views. But instead, they try to take the moral high ground with a perfectly lovely woman who, from reading her blog, appears to be a fine mom. So let's review. Newsbusters and the Media Research Center are vigorously coming to the defense of Rush Limbaugh, a very wealthy, very powerful white male who is a noted misogynist, race baiter, homophobe, probable sex tourist, general bigot, and overall awful human being. And they instead are attacking a stay-at-home mom who has been married to a guy she's been with since she was 17, with whom she has four boys, she did not have four boys, she chose life, who lives in Iowa, the heart of the heartland, and they're attacking her because she decided not to freak out if her sons happened to accidentally see her naked. Okay, so we do not have a candidate for worst mother of 2014, no. What we do have, though, is a solid nomination for the most ridiculous thing ever posted by Newsbusters and the Media Research Center. And something that should make anyone reading it say, What kind of nonsense is that? Hey folks, remember this? Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this? We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out, and when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. Merry-go-round. Merry-go-round. Unique fashions for guys and gals. 
And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at homeshirts.com. Ira Glass is the host of the popular public radio program, This American Life, which regularly tops the list of most downloaded podcasts in iTunes, going back and forth with friend of the show Mark Marin's WTF podcast. Ira was kind enough to sit down with us and discuss his radio career, among other subjects. Here now is our interview with Ira Glass. Okay, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, this is a big one, kids. It's Ira Glass. Ira, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Great, thanks for doing this. This is huge. Whoa. Sorry, I just knocked over a thing with a thing. Hold on, close my door. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. Well, glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so you're coming to Cincinnati, uh, reinventing uh, radio. Is how is that going to work? I mean, I mean, basically the way it works is uh, I stand on stage, I tell stories, uh, I play. I have I have an iPad with clips and music and sound from our show, and as I sort of talk about what we're trying to do on the radio show. Um, I can recreate the sound of the show around me. Oh, okay. So I, I pictured you sitting on the stage at a mixing desk uh, doing this. I mean, that's the way I used to do it. But, okay. uh, but but now technology's gotten so good, basically I have a mixing desk. I have a little mixer in the iPad. Oh, wow. to the PA system. Yeah, it's wonderful. And will people kind of see on a screen anywhere what's going on on your iPad? That would be a really good idea, but uh, but I've never. This is the very first I've thought of that. Okay. So, so if I could arrange that for the thing, that would be kind of cool. Okay. So why is it called reinventing radio? How does the title uh, fit into this? I mean, basically, you know, what I'm talking about is why why I and my colleagues are making a show that is so different from most things that that were on the radio when we began, and uh, and you know, like why why do it the way we're doing it and why strike out the way we have and then I just and then, then partly it's just an excuse to just like play really funny stuff or really like stuff that's such an experiment for us to do just just like you know emotional stuff and and impactful stuff so uh growing up i guess you were into radio but not in the same way that uh a lot of kids growing up are into radio as i recall from you being on wtf I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't, you know, like, growing up, like, I, I had a normal relationship to radio. Like, I didn't have any special feelings about radio. The radio would be on, you know, in the car or something. But, um, but and public radio really didn't, wasn't a part of my life growing up. I didn't discover that until I went to look for a job in radio. Um, and uh, the radio that I really loved as a kid was, was there, was a, there was a kind of a proto-shock jock DJ in Baltimore where I grew up named, named Johnny Walker who every teenage boy in the suburbs really loved. He was a really, really funny guy. And, um, and, uh, and uh, my, after my senior year of high school, I got a job writing jokes for him. Oh, wow. How'd you land that gig? I wrote to him. I wrote, I wrote him a couple pages of jokes, and then, and then he called me up on the phone, which was crazy, like that somebody on the radio would, would call me on the phone. And then, um, and then he sent over and told me he liked the jokes and sent over his driver to come and pick me up, and so I rode in a limousine uh, that 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 was. He basically had a, a you know a, a limo driver drive him everywhere, which I thought was unbelievably fancy. I'd never been in a limousine before, uh, and it was only later they realized like, oh, like he's had a bunch of DUIs, and that's why he can't drive <laughs> himself anywhere. <laughs> oh man, funny. So, uh, did you have any designs on being a comedy writer, or does it? What made you like? 
send this guy jokes? What was the the push behind that? I mean, I, I didn't. I mean, to say I had designs on anything is really like overstating. <laughs> like you know, I was just like I liked funny stuff on the radio, and I thought like, oh, I want to try that. It wasn't. It wasn't much more sophisticated than that. And then, as it turns out, you discovered later on that your father had been in radio, but you didn't discover this till years later. Yeah, like it wasn't something I really knew. Like I was working at NPR for a while, and my parents were very much against it, against me working on radio, against me especially working in public radio, um, because because uh, they 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 believed that there was just no money to be made. They really just didn't see like what kind of life I was going to have, and. Um, and, and, you know, they just thought, like, I should be a doctor. I should, you know, I mean, I was in college, and they're like, you're, you know, you can, you can be a doctor. Like, why would you be in radio if you could be a doctor? And, um, and uh, which I think a lot of middle-class parents would definitely feel. And, uh, and the drama of their life was getting up to the middle class. Like, they both grew up in households with no money at all, and the thought that, like, they now had money, and I could go to college and like this is what I was going to do with it was like work at a job where I was making you know thirteen thousand dollars a year, like that, that was uh, or seventeen thousand, you know like that that was um, they just didn't understand that and and around that time like I, <laughs> I found out that like my dad my dad had worked in in radio when he was in college and then shortly after college and basically gave it up so 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 he could make enough money like basically he gave it up the year i was born he gave it up like because he had two kids at that point i was the second kid and i think he just realized like oh i'm never going to make enough money to to support these kids and became an accountant wow so wh- when you were in college were you studly, uh, studying studying journalism or were you uh, were you focused on broadcasting I mean, when I, I mean, I, I, I started off as a radio, TV, film major at one school, and then transferred to another school which didn't have that. Um, so at my first school, like I got some experience at at the college radio station. Um, I learned to edit tape, which really at that point meant literally editing reel to reel tape. Oh yeah, tape. I remember that. <laughs> and um, wow, you're old. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and mixing and all that, I learned like the basics. So truthfully, like anybody could learn the basics of that technology in in a day or two. Um, even today, like when people want to get into radio, like you can learn the tech of it, like you know, in an afternoon. Really, it's so simple. And um, and uh, and then at the others, but then they didn't have that at the school I transferred to, and, and instead I became a semiotics major. And this is one of the things I talk about in in in, in the talk I'll be giving is is semiotics is this is this theory of narrative about how to structure and and work with narrative so that it's compelling. And I have to say, like that ended up being in a way much more useful to me than um, than a more traditional sort of broadcasting um, major or something like that would be. Um, at the time during the summers, I was still working at NPR in Washington. Every summer, I would go to or still. I started working at NPR in Washington when I was nineteen, and um, and uh, and then I would be studying this theory about how to make stories that get to you, that kill you. You know, that just like they just totally pierced through the clutter. And that turned out to be just very, very useful, a very useful combination of things. So did you, uh, for a long time, have the idea for a show like This American Life and then finally had a chance to do it? Or did you uh, have the opportunity to do a show and then kind of This American Life formed from that? I mean, for a long time, I thought that I wanted to try to make my own show, but my sense of what it would be was a little bit hazy. And and as I got older, it became clearer. And And 
And if, and at the beginning, like the way I thought about it is like that that it would be that it would just it, there was a kind of feeling you could get for a, from a certain kind of story on the radio, and people weren't doing that sort of work very much, where there's characters and scenes and funny moments and emotional moments, and you know just like there would be occasional stories on the news programs, but not not that often, and so um, and so and so and so that's what I wanted to make. It's strange too because public radio in itself is uh, a little more long form, but uh, this American Life is like even longer form. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, compared to TV news, where where you know a a, a, a you know the longest a story goes generally is like a minute and forty five seconds in a newscast, like on public radio, where it's not unusual for a story to go five minutes or seven minutes. Yeah, like and then and then we will go much much longer than that. I mean, this show is designed at a completely different pace. So let me ask you, I know each week we do a, a, a theme and different stories on that theme. I'm well-versed in the show after 15 years of listening. Um, I'm curious, though, does the theme come first, or do you have a stack of stories and say, well, these are some good stories, and there's a common element here? How does that come together? It's funny. It's, it's neither one. It, it, it's, the, generally, what will happen is there'll be one story that we know we like, and then we have nothing to do. We don't have anything. It doesn't fit with any of the shows we're doing. You know what I mean? Like at any given point, we'll have like five or six shows that we're working up for the coming weeks, and um, or more than that actually. And um, and and you know we'll stumble on a story and we'll be like, "This is an amazing story. It doesn't fit into any of our current shows or solve any of our problems filling those shows." And so so we're going to have to organize a whole other show around this. And um, and then and then we just and then and then basically once we have that story as an anchor, we start looking for other things that we can gl- glue to it. And, and, and then we begin a process that, that basically we will make up some theme and, you know, just start looking for things to fill out that theme based on some story. So is there kind of like a pitch meeting and the other writers or readers to say, oh, well, I do know of something that happened that fits into this theme? We do have meetings like that, but, but it's a much slower process. I mean, generally it takes us months to fill out a show. So it doesn't even happen in the meeting. It happens with like people going off and looking at the computers and calling friends, and oh, okay. we'll brainstorm in a meeting about like, well, what could go with this story? Like this story is a big sad story. So what we need is we know we need something funny, you know, and like and how you know like how are we gonna how are we gonna find it? Um, I don't know if Elise shared this with you, uh, your publicist there, but um, I last summer I did an homage to This American Life. I did my show in the style of This American Life. And uh, yeah, and I, I the the theme was best impressions, and it was me doing a pretty horrible impression of you, as well as Brian Williams of NBC News, and uh, I got Dave Thomas, the real Dave Thomas of Second City, to help out because I had remembered a story about him trying to do Jim Neighbors on Second City and failing, and Rick Moranis is jumping in and saying Fred Travelina, everybody, so yeah, <laughs> so I'll I'll email that to you after the interview. Um, it, you may or may not like it. I don't know. Um, can, I, can I hear your imitation of me? Um, sure. <clears throat> hey, everyone. It's Ira. Actually, it's PF doing a horrible impression of Ira. This week on our show, best impressions. PF does an impression of Ira for the entire show. Wow. I think I have That's, the cadence. I, I, I hear it. I okay. hear it. I have the cadence, I think. I don't I think I have the actual. I mean, being able to man- manipulate the microphone and stuff helps out a lot, as it does with most impressions. But I used to be more adept at it in high school. But it's just, I'm a sucker for a great impression. I loved when you had Fred Armiston on uh, and you did Dueling Iras. <laughs> That's yeah. probably one of my favorites. The, I, the clip that you guys linked to on uh, Yahoo that they cut out of Saturday Night Live, so yeah. funny. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Just brilliant. Yeah. Um, You're just... 
if you may. <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so uh, do, are there ever any stories that you have a lot of hopes for, but all of a sudden you're like, they start to come undone because something happens, you can't get certain people into the story or anything like that? Oh my God, that happens. That happens every other day. Yeah, no, no. Making stuff, making making stuff in this format means that you run out a lot of material, and then half of it falls apart and doesn't work. Um, so, like right now, as as you were calling, I was writing an email about this story that we're hoping to do in Northern California, where we have this lady who owns a vineyard, and she suspects that some of the workers in the vineyard might be trafficked, not just like illegal, but actually trafficked from Mexico, and so she's starting to investigate it herself. And we're going to find out today if they are. And, and, and I think they aren't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Such a good idea for a story. And I think, like, oh, she's about to, she, I really, really believe, like, this is too good. Because if she finds her traffic, like, she's going to take action and stuff. Yeah. Because she's, like, a nice, right-thinking person. And, um, but, like, I, yeah, I don't think, uh, I, I think, you know, she only has eight people working in her field, so... I think that the odds. I think. I think that it's not going to work out. But that happens. That happens every other day. Something falls apart. Well, could there be a story there though, in that when you you think something is going on and you're sure of it? Because I've had this has happened to me all through my life. People are sure something is going on, and then there's this weird little twist where you find out, oh, that's not what's going on at all. Although now that I think about it, I think you may have done that already (laughs) on the show. We might have. I got to say, like the the fact pattern of that has to be pretty spectacular to hear, like. A lady thinks there's a scandal going on at the business she owns. Then she finds it like, oh, no, there isn't a scandal. It's just a business. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not fun to listen to. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess another thing where it, where it comes undone. Um, now, speaking of reinventing radio, what do you see the future of radio being? Because, of course, This American Life is usually at, at the very top of the uh, iTunes podcast list, if not number one every week. It, are we really moving more towards that? I mean, I'm no expert on that side of it. I mean, I feel like... You know, as long as as long as there are cars and people are lazy, there's going to be a useful like function for like people to be able to get in their car and turn on the station and have something be there that they don't have to choose from download and all that. So, so I feel like as long as laziness exists in this world, radio will probably still have a place. You know, that said, like it seems like more and more people are switching over to listening to the internet. Like I have to say, like all my radio listening is over the internet. Yeah, me too. Like. And, um, and, and I don't even own a radio in my home, you know, and, and uh, everything is just over the internet. Yeah. And as much time shifting as I can do, you know, like just downloading podcasts and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, it does seem like a, it's so handy. But, you know, it weirdly, like podcasts are just not catching on. Like yeah. they, do not, they do not catch on. They've been around for years. They're like soccer, <laughs> like, like, like everybody thinks they're always there it's about to be the biggest thing but it never becomes the biggest thing and the fact that like you know our show that our show is the number one podcast so we have a million people downloading and it's a huge audience like a million people that is not a joke that's a huge huge business but not you know compared to big things you know what yeah. I mean? like like you know like any given night of of you know tv is way bigger than a million people like you know like it's just people have not caught on to it if we're the biggest and we're a million like it's still pretty small that's weird too because um on the other side of it though for me there's 4,500 people that listen to this show every week which i tell my wife all the time is probably 4,500 more people than should be listening to this show but you know years ago i never would have had that kind of an audience you know just me sitting in my family room doing dumb bits and interviewing comedians and other personalities and 
It's just yeah. crazy. Um, have you noticed on the iPhone, the iOS eight? There's an uh, they downloaded an automatic podcast app right onto the onto the iPhone. <laughs> I still have not. I'm not so up to date with my things that I would ever. Well, I find that out by accident. iOS eight or yeah. anything. Oh, I'm so, totally not so a tech no, guy. Finance, but, but that's good to hear. I just updated it and noticed that and said, "Hey, this is good news for people like me." <laughs> Oh, good, good, good. That, and for me, too, especially. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's weird, too, because I started listening to the show in, I guess, uh, around year 2000. I was working in a hotel, so I was working on Sunday mornings and it was on locally. But I haven't listened to the show on the radio all the way through, probably since then. I always listen to it uh, via podcast now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what we know about our audience is that around 2.2 million listen over the radio and about a million listen on podcasts. So, and the podcast is, is growing. That said, the radio part isn't going away. Like we, you know, all of public radio apparently lost four percent of its audience in the last year over the radio. And what we assume is people are going to go are basically switching to the internet, whereas we only lost one percent over the radio. Um, and at the same time, our podcast audience was 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 substantially growing. So, so those are the numbers now. And, of course, we had some successful, I wouldn't say spinoffs, but, um, of course, Adam Davidson and David Kestenbaum with Planet Money. I guess uh, I guess that kind of was, wasn't really, well, was it, I can't remember, it was started on This American Life, or just kind of just co- concurrently, they had that big story about the mortgage crisis at the same time they were starting their podcast, and it was also... You're thinking of, you're thinking of Adam Davidson and Alex Bloomberg. Alex and, Bloomberg. And, it, and that wasn't, I wouldn't call it exactly a spinoff, it, it, was, a, it was a co-production we that, made yeah. in our news. Okay. Uh, and, uh... But then now we are actually starting our first real actual spinoff, and it's a series called Serial that starts October third, and um, and it's a, it's our staff producing our it's this is the second series that we'll have out, and it's created by Sarah Koenig and and uh, is going to host it, and 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 uh, it's very very exciting. Like the idea is that um, instead of each week, you know, we choose a different theme with Serial every week. We basically come back to not just the same theme, but the same story, and we tell you the next chapter. Oh. So it's one long story that takes twelve episodes to unfold, and it's amazing. And the characters are super compelling, and the plot—you don't know what to believe—and it's just—it's so good. So it's it's like kind of like Twenty Four, where it's just one big long story for the whole season. Yeah, it's like Twenty Four. It's really like anything on TV now. I feel like I feel like this is their next thing—is to just try to compete with. You know the series that are with Twenty Four, or with series on Netflix, or HBO, or Showtime. You know what I mean? Like where where the stories unfold. I feel like that's the next frontier. Though this is a true story; it's nonfiction. Yeah, I have the preview sitting in my iTunes. I'm anxiously uh, waiting to listen to that, and uh, I'll probably get to that soon. Um, oh, another question I had for you was: I guess uh, Berbigli had mentioned this in passing that uh, since he's been working for the show, he noticed that there's just stacks and stacks of pitches sitting on your desk there. Uh, at your office in New York, is is that accurate? Are there just- I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean that in a literal way. No, no. I mean, but we do have. I mean, every other week we have a big pitch meeting where we go through like you know twenty five or thirty pitches as a staff, and then and then we have stories that that are in development that actually you know we haven't had time to finish making or stories that basically we do have pieces lying around and ideas lying around that we haven't gotten to for sure. So what you, would you just guesstimate is the longest something has sat around or a piece of thing has sat around before it finally found a home? Oh, some things sit around for years. Like some, some stories, it's really hard to figure out how you'll ever get them into the show. And then, and then you find the right episode for it, and then, and then, and then you do it. So, oh. so there have been some things that, that have been around for, for years. 
Uh, I would say some of my personal favorites are uh, The Enforcers. I love that episode. Um, Breakup with uh, Carly Stein's interviewing Phil Collins. Yeah, Starley Kine. Starley Kine. Starley Kine, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Right to Remain Silent with the, with the, when you guys played the audio from that guy's tape recorder from that police officer's yeah, tape. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, that was a very dramatic story. Very riveting, yeah. Um, whatever happened with that, with that guy? What was the last we heard on that? I think his case is still going forward. Okay. I mean, I'd have to check, but uh, I mean, if you just Google his name, it'll tell you the latest. But his name is Adrian Schoolcraft. And I, but I think it, I think it's all still in process. Okay. Yeah, it's nice when you uh, do a repeat of a show and then we get a little update at the end to tell us what's been happening with some of the people in the story. I have to say, like, that kind of show is one that is a really curious one to have to make because, um, because really what happened is a really very fine investigative reporter for The Village Voice had done the total story. And we were just going in and doing a cover version, you know, on the radio, <laughs> yeah. where I interviewed Adrian and interviewed the guy and then, and then chose excerpts of the tapes. And, um, and so really, weirdly, like, that makes a great era of radio, but I feel like there was nothing original about it. And if anything, it was a weirdly technical kind of, like, task to, like, put it together in a way that would to convert a print piece to a radio piece. It was like, a, it was like I don't know, it was like getting hired on a job or something. But it seemed to work a lot better because that that tape recorder of his is essential to the piece. And to actually hear those clips of audio, those of the other cops busting through his door looking for the other tape recorder. I mean, <laughs> no, that's just... Yeah. No, exactly. No. <laughs> no, no. It, it makes for a great story. Um, the fact that you hear the recordings. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I would say if, if Mark Marin is the Bob Dylan of podcasting, then This American Life is the Beatles. Wow, yeah, flattering. Yeah, um, well, great. I really appreciate you doing this, and uh, I know you you have somewhere to be uh, soon. But if I could have one favor, if you could do a liner for me, that would be awesome. Anything along the lines of "Hi, this is Ira Glass from This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder." And it's P S or P X P P F. P F like P F Wilson. Yes, uh, P is in uh, Paul. Frank is in F is in Frank. This is Ira Glass from This American Life, and you're listening to PF Tape Recorder. Uh, it's a possessive, PF's Tape Recorder. <laughs> I hope you include this part in the part that you play on the air. Will some, you correct me about I, the name of the show? Some, sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes. This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Perfect. Uh, the one Gary Goldman did, he did them all in a row, and he goes, I could say, uh, hey, this is Gary Goldman, you're listening to PF Tape Recorder. But I just play those all in a row when I do the liner, because it's so funny listening to him try to do it over and over again. So I just use all oh. of them, because they're hilarious. Yeah, he's, oh. a, he's, a, he's a funny guy. Um, well, terrific. Um, looking forward to seeing you here in Cincinnati, and uh, I guess you'll be doing this in other cities as well. Or is this just the, the same one you're doing in every town, or do you different, because it says you're on tour on the website, but it doesn't necessarily say you're doing reinventing radio in each town. Is that how that's working? In on tour, it doesn't totally accurately describe it. Like basically, once every three or four weeks, I go out and I give a talk at some public radio city to to you know support the show and to you know just stay out there in people's minds. Um, so so I'm not really on tour. Like basically, well, yeah, I, you I, know, I, go out for one night. But is it reinventing radio for the next couple of stops that you're doing? I mean, I, change, I, I mean, basically, <laughs> reinventing radio is a flexible enough name that it lets oh. me put any content into it I want. So okay. the content of the show is actually constantly changing, and uh, and uh, and uh, and so and so and so it's variations on on similar things with just different clips and things like that, just to keep it fresh okay. for me. I'm also traveling around the country doing a dance show. Now is that a, a, an offshoot of the big uh, radio show you guys did uh, at the at the at the uh, arts 
performance uh, place in Brooklyn? Is it? Uh, in a certain way, no. In a certain way, yes. In a certain way, no. Like, like the dancers were in that show, but um, but this is a whole show that I I'm touring with a professional dance company, and I tell stories and they dance. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were singing and dancing. Uh, no, no, I'm sticking to the things that uh. <laughs> singing the things I know how to do. Terrific. Okay, yeah. well, again, uh, thanks a lot. I'll email you the, the clip to that one episode uh, that's, for you. And okay. That's terrific. Okay, well, thanks again, so, Ira. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice meeting you. Okay, right. bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, our show today is produced by me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do the Ira Glass impression again. Um, but special thanks to Ira for being on the show. Man, that was huge. How cool was that? Uh, you can find all things Ira Glass at thisamericanlife.org, including links to his uh, tour, quote-unquote, schedule, and also links to the new program they're doing, Serial. I have started listening to the first episode. It's going to be amazing. So you can check all that out at thisamericanlife.org. You can subscribe to This American Life and Serial both in iTunes, if that's easier for you. Okay, so um, I will borrow one little joke of theirs from This American Life, uh, oversight for PF Tape Recorder by Ira's boss, Tori Malatia, who, when he heard an episode of PF Tape Recorder, described it thusly. And then I just, and then, then partly it's just an excuse to just like play really funny stuff or really like stuff that is such an experiment. Okay, so original music for PF Tape Recorder composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. PF Tape Recorder logo by Dan Koble. And let me see, uh, like us on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at PF66. Uh, thank you again for listening. If you're just joining us to hear Ira, please go back and cherry pick some of the episodes. Um, the easiest way to do that is to keep clicking back in Podbean, pfradio.podbean.com. Or if you think, hey, I wonder if PF has talked to this person. Uh, they're mostly comedians we've spoken to. Just uh, Google that and PF Tape Recorder, the name of the comedian that is, uh, and PF Tape Recorder, and uh, who knows, maybe it'll pop up. All right, so uh, that is it for this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I think it was probably one of the best ever. So long, and thanks for listening. Oh,